to be able to go into that debt and hustle our way out of it, I said, maybe this whole entrepreneurial thing is not so scary, right? We're all so scared of this thing. Well, what if I'm without a job? What? You know, you're, you're in America. You're, you're, if you're educated and you're healthy and you've got people who love you, I mean, you're going to be fine. You're not going to starve. You might have some stressful nights and you might go into some debt, but if you're smart and you're willing to hustle, you can get out of it. So I think that was the big lesson for my, my early days. Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Secrets to Igniting Your Business with Bela and Mike. I'm Bela Musitz, the David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University in upstate New York. And I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. This podcast is about conversations with successful entrepreneurs you've never heard of who have built successful businesses you have never heard of. Businesses and entrepreneurs that we can all identify with. In each episode, I think we try to capture and share the essence of how interesting people often take unconventional paths to build their businesses. So we decided to interview a wide range of business people that have found and taken unconventional paths in their careers. And what we hope to do is capture some lessons, advice, inspiration that'll help you attain your entrepreneurial goals. So join us for interesting conversations and discussions with what we think are really inspiring guests on how you can ignite your business by exploring some of the many less traveled unconventional paths that lie ahead. So if you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a review on your favorite podcasting application. If you have suggestions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today's guest is Darren Janelle who, along with his brother, founded a company called Janelle Group. Very interesting story and that you'll hear, uh, particularly the challenges he had uh, in the early years where uh, he learned a couple of hard lessons. So, uh, Mike, what's one key point that you walked away from listening to Darren? Bela, especially in the world of software development, it was fascinating to hear the role of culture and people. Uh, what that plays in the the health of his company. This is a startup. Uh, it's a company that hasn't been around too long, but has enjoyed incredible growth. And it was really cool to hear Darren kind of talk about what he said, the secret sauce um, of their success really has been culture and people. So I think that there will be a lot there in terms of tools and techniques and tips for our listeners to take away in terms of building a place where people are happy to come to work and will stay and we'll do great things. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's interesting, Mike, as you were saying that, it made me think about our other podcasts that we have recorded. And I think culture has come up in almost every one of them as being a key important element. So people and culture are really important. And it's interesting to see how different people think about it and their different approaches to developing that culture, cultivating that culture and maintaining it. So with that, and I think this was another great episode and a great conversation I had with Darren, uh, let's dive into it. Before we do that, let me thank Clarkson University for their continued support in uh, helping us with this podcast. And again, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can reach us at bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please give us a favorable review on iTunes or your favorite podcast system. Thanks again. Okay, today I'm here with Darren Janelle, a co-founder of Janelle Group, who, along with his brother, uh, founded this company how many years ago, Darren? Well, the Janelle Group officially got going in about 2012. We say we started our entrepreneurial journey in 2005. That's when we had the guts to quit our job. So uh, that's when we really started. But the, the Janelle Group portion of my entrepreneurial career really got going in 2012. Okay, great. So let's go all the way back. Yeah. Let's go back to uh, uh, Darren as a little kid. Sure, sure. Entrepreneurial? Uh, no, uh, our whole life was basketball. My brother and I were as driven about one thing 
than you could imagine. I mean, p- people used to say to my mother, I've never, you're, you're, my dad would be out there training us, right? And we'd be in like fourth and sixth grade and we'd just be working out like, literally like wild animals. And people would say to my mother, your husband's going to kill those boys. But it was us, like we wanted to do it. He was just there to like channel that. So our, our early life from, you know, again, elementary school all the way through college was basketball, 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 24-7 um, and it, it was fairly intense. <laughs> so who was the better basketball player, you or your brother? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, my career playing against him one-on-one is, I probably have like one or two wins and maybe about a thousand losses. So I guess you would have to say him. Uh, he was definitely a better high school player than I was, uh, but I think I had a better college career than he did. Okay. Yeah. Any history of entrepreneurship in the family? Not really. Um it's not entrepreneurial, but I kind of put it in that mindset. My my grandfather came to America from Germany when he was 13 and brought his little sister and they had a sponsor family over here and he didn't speak English. I look at that as as entrepreneurial as you can possibly be in terms of the ability to take a risk to try to change the course of your life. Um, so he had that in him. But My grandfather worked a job for 45 years. My dad was a school teacher. My mom was a school teacher. My grandfather on the other side was very, um, you know, they they would have a job and be loyal to that job. So they they didn't really have that entrepreneurial bug in that sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. And where did you grow up? I grew up not far from here. We're in Schenectady, New York. I grew up about uh, 10 minutes from here in a town called Rotterdam, Shellman High School. Okay. And so uh, let's go back to Janelle Group. What what does Janelle Group do? So Janelle Group, we, we develop custom software. So when a company has a specific need or specific business process and they can't find software off the shelf to meet their needs, they'll call us in and we'll build a completely custom web application specifically for their process. Sometimes we come in and do the whole thing ourselves, design it, build it, support it, test it, everything. Sometimes they're already working on something and we'll come in and supplement their team and just kind of give them some more firepower. But we don't do traditional staff augmentation where we place people on site. Uh, everybody's part of our um, either our, our main headquarters here in Schenectady or we do have a few remote employees as well, but we don't place people on site. Got it. Got it. And how many employees do you have today? We are at, I believe we're at 47 full-timers and 13 part-timers, so 60 people total. Wow, so that's a good-sized business. Yeah, we've been growing steady year over year since 2012, um, and it's exciting, man. We're just getting warmed up too, Bela. I I think we're going to 100, 200 employees. I really believe that uh, we've cracked the code on some things, and I this the the growth is just happening. We haven't done any sales or marketing um, and we're actually thinking about trying to turn some of that on right now. Boy, I could see us going to 80 people in a year. Um, you know, the, the hardest thing is going to be finding the right people. Yes. Yes. A lot of people talk about how challenging that is. Yes, absolutely. Right? Not only ones that have the capability, but ones that fit within your culture. Yes, certainly. And that, and that you know, Bailey, you know a bit about our, um, our company and our culture, but, you know, for the people listening, that's the one of the things I think we've cracked the code on. We've figured out a way to create an environment, a culture, a place where people are happy to come to work. Uh, since we started, we've had one person leave us for a, another job in the same industry. There's been some other like interns that have come and gone or, um, you know, one guy had to go back to South Africa for his ailing father. But only one person has left us for another job. So I really do think we've, we've figured that part out. And making sure that we continue to add the right people, um, that, that's the key. And finding them is, is going to be challenging because we're not going to grow for the sake of growth. I think I could hire 20 people in the next month and we could find work for them and keep going. But uh, I would never do that or we would never do that to sacrifice our culture. Yeah. So what's your selection process like? So we've actually got a really unique program that I think is very different than a lot of businesses out there. So we're here in upstate New York. Um, Upstate New York has some of the greatest universities in the world. And everyone comes to upstate New York to go to school. I could just start listing off the universities, but they're really amazing. Literally tens of thousands of kids every year. And then they leave, right? 
So what we're trying to do is tap into the ones that have that potential and have that fit and sell them on what we're doing here and sell them on the Capital District. Some of them already lived and grew up in the Capital District and wanted to stay, but never found opportunities like this. Some people thought maybe I'm headed back to New York or Boston and we can kind of show them what we're doing. So the, the way the program works is it's a just like any sales funnel, right? It's a numbers game. I interview between 150 and 200 people every year, me personally. Uh, so really just as many people as I can meet with as possible. And we're just looking for three things. Are they smart enough? Because you got to, in this field, you just have to be smart. There's a level of talent, right? I always say, give the analogy, I want to play in the NBA, but they just won't let me. I'm just not good enough. Um, so to be a software developer or to work in our field, you just, you have to be smart enough. And that's like one of the things I don't think we're honest with our kids, you know, as they go into school and, and, and we just say, well, anybody can do it. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. I think there needs to be a, a base level yeah. of talent there. Are they smart enough? Are they hungry? Are they going to work hard? Are they going to hustle? And are they going to be, as I said before, a, a fit in our culture? And so, you know, by doing playing the numbers game and interviewing 200 people, you know, I can identify 50 of them that may have these qualities. Then we give them some tests. We bring them into a, a training program called Forward Motion and give them test assignments, start to work with them. Do they show up on time? Are they cool? Are they easy to hang out with? When I give them feedback, do they argue with me? Um, we start to kind of work that funnel, right? And only of those maybe 50, you know, maybe 20 of them stick with the program. And then of those, we choose 10 of them a year. Um, and, and that's really been our process. Of our 60 people, I believe 42 of them have come through that forward motion program. So we kind of look at that as almost uh, kind of growing our own talent. So on these in this forward motion program, are these new graduates you're some of them are, yeah, some of them are new graduates. Most of them are in their, in college, usually like sophomore, junior, senior years, and they come in for an internship. We start with unpaid. If they do well, we start paying them. And if they start doing really well, we offer them a job. And it becomes so crystal clear, Bela, by the time we offer the job, there's, I'm not even nervous. I'm only nervous if the guy's going to accept or not. I'm 100% sure that this person is a star because I've worked with them for six months and we push them and we don't treat them like regular interns where just go get coffee, kid, and then go research some stuff. We're giving them real work. They're working on projects. We're challenging them. I already know. We're 99% sure that they're going to be a star by the time we offer them. And you ask, you know, are these graduates? Are they college kids? We'll go as far as high school. I, I've got a kid uh, with us. He's an absolute superstar. He's in his senior year right now at a local high school here, CBA. And he's been with us since ninth grade. The kid's an absolute savant. He wants to go to MIT this year. Uh, I'd hire the kid tomorrow. And actually, I said to him, I, I, I felt guilty. I go, you know, you don't even need to go to college. You know, you really could probably be making six figures here with us in a few years. <laughs> I felt guilty, Bela, saying that. I know you're yeah. a college professor, and I believe in education. But does he need to go to college? I don't know. I know I'm all over the place. but So, so part of your secret is you sort of developed a farm team or a farm league. Absolutely. Right? You, have, you have this pipeline, as you said. Yeah. Where you're bringing folks in, you're working with them, just like in uh, Major League Baseball, they have, you know, yep. the Development League, they have A-League, Double-A, Triple-A, yeah. and, and you sort of graduate through, yeah. and, and, and that's how you get your Major League players. I love that. I might uh, take that analogy yeah. and, and use that <laughs> as my own, of course. Of course. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, so that's excellent. And what about kind of, how do you think about culture in your in your business? Yeah, I mean, that, as, as I said, we've kind of cracked the code on this and um, we've just figured this out. And everyone asks, what's the key? The, the key is super simple to explain and sometimes hard to do, right? It's you just have to care. You just have to care and show your employees that you care. And everybody says, oh, well, I'll do that. But you don't, do you really care? Yes. When I say my brother and I care, we, we really devote our life to this. I mean, we spend uh, hundreds, maybe hundreds of hours a year working with people, training them for free, speaking, um, doing, mentoring. Doing podcast interviews. Exactly. <laughs> you know, out there just hustling and working the numbers. I could give this formula to anyone. You want to find great people? Go interview 200 next this year. 
And, you know, when people hear that, they go, well, maybe, maybe I don't care that much. I have real work to do. Well, I look at that as real work. That is your real work. I look that, at that as, I mean, that's our secret sauce. That's, that's everything. So I have now been able to break away from kind of the day-to-day project work and been able to, over the last probably three, three years, mm. been able to spend that time and work on finding those guys and investing in them in the culture. I didn't really answer your question so much about the culture, but that kind of yeah. goes to the the core thing is just care about them as much as you care about yourself. Yeah, I, I think it, what you just described is uh, making that transition from how some people describe it as from working in your business to working on your business. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we say that all the time, and that's 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 been a key. Um, you know, back to... You know the caring thing, right? The the way I explain it to a lot of people is, I feel like the normal boss employee relationship or business owner employee relationship is, well, you work for me. What can you do for me? What can you do for the company? You're lucky to have a job, even if you're not a bad guy about it, right? There's there's many like bosses who are great people and nice and everything, but. Deep down, if they really analyze how they view it, they say, well, I'm the boss and you work for me and you should try to please me and add value around here. My brother and I try our best to flip that upside down and say, well, I work for you. What can I do to make this the best place to work so that it's fun, so that you work with cool people that aren't annoying, so that you work on work that's challenging, so you can take your career and steer it where you want to go? That's what I'm doing. I'm like a college football recruiter, right? When, when, when there's software talent, when there's a young, smart, hungry kid, I want that kid like a star quarterback. I'm going to, I flip the, the interview and all of a sudden I'm coming at them and they're like, wait, I thought I was interviewing here. And I'm like, no, I, I see something in this person. I got to sell them on what we're doing. And, and by flipping that upside down, all of a sudden that just starts to permeate everything, right? Because they sense that, they get it. All of a sudden they're going to work a little bit extra. They're going to be a little bit more hungry and happy and if, as they see they're able to steer their career and we're there to help them, I mean, why wouldn't they stay? Why wouldn't they continue to give their best and then help the next generation of young people coming into the company do the same thing? So it kind of snowballs, and, and we've got that ball really rolling downhill now, and it's awesome to see. No, excellent. So uh, in college, you played a lot of basketball. Yep. I'm going to go back in time here a little sure, bit. And sure, sure. you graduate from college, and what, did, what was your degree in? So I got a, a, a degree in business administration from UAlbany, a concentration on marketing and management. And uh, I got a job in Manhattan as a software engineer, and I had never written a single line of code. I had never even sent an email. This is 1998. I didn't even, I mean, I heard of email, but I had never sent one. I, don't, I didn't know anything. So I go down to New York, and uh, I got in because, first of all, I was, I, I think I attacked the, the interviewer just by telling her how hungry I am. I think that was one thing. And then I, I did well. They gave this aptitude test. Whereas I've always been kind of nerdy and into math, and, and I did really well on this aptitude test. So I got admitted to this class. And uh, we go in, It's tw- there's 20 kids in there, 19 computer science majors and me. And the first day of class, I remember the teacher said something, and then they go, and then you just loop through it. Loop is a common thing in so programming. So this is a class at the company yes. for like new hires. Yep. It was an eight-month training class. It was like a, the most amazing opportunity. Uh, but I'm in there. I don't. I don't know anything. They go, yeah. You just loop through it, or you know. Then you just. It's an if statement. And I raise my hand. You know, what's a loop? And you should have seen it was like uh, in the movies when they the music stops and everyone turns and says, "How the hell did this guy get in here?" You know. And I go, I, "I've never heard of a loop." Someone explain it to me. And uh, so, but I, but I, I took to that right away, and I, I just loved programming from the first second I got exposed to it. And, you know, just started working 12, 14-hour days, just studying and hustling and doing the normal kind of Janelle way. Uh, and I kind of caught up by the end of that class and, and, and really became a software developer right on Wall Street and rolled right into a, a really um, sophisticated group handling settlement of trades and uh, really nerdy stuff. And I just love it, loved it and, and ate that up. So that's 98, uh, 98 to 05 is, is the time frame when we were down there. Uh, large company, small company? Uh, a company called DTCC, Depository Trust and Clearing Company. They're actually a nonprofit 
uh, created by all the brokerage houses in New York to, to, to uh, make it easier to settle trades. Uh, so large, yeah, I'm going to say maybe 300 people, 400 people. Okay. Actually, probably when I started, it was about four or 500. And right as I got going, that was like the first round of like big layoffs. Mm-hmm. I remember like they laid 80 people off in one day. They literally just locked them out of their computer. I'm sure, Bailey, you've been around. You've seen some crazy like firings and layoffs. And I just couldn't believe that. Like people would go and log in. They just couldn't get in. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're fired. And I, uh, you know, my buddy came running down. He's like, oh, I can't get in. What should I do? He's like, can you log in? I was like, I logged in fine, man. I don't know what to tell you. You know, that was probably because I just started. I was making no money. They're like, we could we could do better with this young guy making making peanuts. Great, great example of the personal touch. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing that going, boy, I, I don't know much about anything, but this doesn't seem like the right way to do it. Yeah. You know. So you did that for a number of years. Yep. And then what happened? So during that time, my brother, my brother also got a job in the same training program the next year in the uh, same company. So you're older? No, he's actually two years older. He okay. was in Boston for a couple of years um, doing some sales stuff and other jobs. Wasn't, didn't really find his mark. And then when I got into this, I, I, you know, my brother and I have a very similar brain. I said, dude, this is what you got to do. You got to get your, your butt out to New York and get in this next class, and, 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 which he did. Uh, so now we're working at the same company down there. We did our grad schooling at uh, NYU. I got a master's in information systems, and my brother got an MBA. Um, and we're starting our own companies. We, by then, we started to figure out, look, we're, we're supposed to be entrepreneurs. Um, we, we knew... Look, we're, we're really aggressive and we're really hungry, and, and we just felt frustrated a little bit in the corporate um, company. We did love our jobs, but I said, I looked you know, up the ladder, it's, I'm like, it's 25 years before I get up to, to some of these levels. And my brother and I are very confident, so we said, you know, I think we're ready for this now. Maybe we, uh, a great quote that uh, Robert Kiyosaki says is, instead of climbing the corporate ladder, let's just build our own ladder. And that's what we decided to do. So we started a, a few businesses in New York. This is while we were working full time. Um, some of the worst businesses you've ever seen. I think I, I joked with you on some of these. We started a business called Your Next Dermatologist, which was a, which was a, you were supposed to go there and search to find a dermatologist. Uh, you know, so obviously. But this is the early days of the internet. This is the early days of the internet. So it's not and, that crazy. Yes, in, and there in was today's a, context, it is absolutely. And then there was a business one eight hundred Dennis. It was like a phone line, and they were a million dollar company, and we're like. We'll just do that same thing. And, For but yeah, a smaller niche, you know? And so, yeah, it made sense at the time, but it's just so hilariously ridiculous to, to think back that we actually tried to do that. Um, but anyway, so we had started a couple businesses, you know, nothing really got rolling. Um, but, but in 05, I had written um, an educational software program that I started to show to people. And people were like, this is really cool. This is your next business, right? This so what is, inspired you to write that? Again, we, my brother and I were just—we just never stopped trying things. I probably had written that from '98 to '05. I had probably written at least a dozen fully functioning web applications that were like ready to sell. They just were probably terrible ideas, or I didn't have any idea how to execute. Um, so you know, this was just yeah. I, I just kept doing it, kept trying it, um, and I always loved like playing Jeopardy in school, like when I was uh, you know getting ready for a test or something. So I made this little Jeopardy game and I had cartoon characters on there and they would react and it was kind of funny. And I started loading questions in there and and, uh, the thing was fully functional. We started showing teachers. Every teacher we showed said, I love this. I'll buy this. So we started to get really excited. We actually, before we quit our jobs, Bela, you've heard this story before. We pitched 12 schools. I said, let me see if these schools are actually going to buy this before I quit my job. I had an awesome job, you know. 11 out of 12 said, this is awesome. We're going to buy it. We're high-fiving in the parking lot. We're ready to start popping bottles and buying, you know, fancy cars because we're like, wow, we're rich. This, this was easier than we thought. We should have quit years ago. Uh, so then we quit our jobs, okay? Both you and your brother. Uh, yep, my, both my brother and I. <laughs> and my wife and I were living in Manhattan. The plan was always to come back upstate when it was time for a family. She got pregnant with our first child. She quits her job. Her and I move upstate. We buy a suburban house. We buy cars. She's not working. I'm not working. We got the baby. But it's all going to be fine because we're going to be rich, right? 
then I learned a very, very tough lesson of a sale is not done until you have the check. Not only you have the check, the check clears. Um, but we ended up closing zero out of 11 of those verbal commitments. I, the teachers really wanted it. They did. And so I said, oh, when they say it, then we're going to do it. But getting money out of a school is is very challenging. Yeah, the teacher's not the decision maker. Yes, and I, that was a, a lesson I had learned in business school, but I seemed to forget or ignore that based on my excitement. Um, we closed zero of those deals. We continue to pitch other schools. Same story every time. This is awesome. Let's do it. Man, I can't close a deal to save my life. We go seven months without making a penny. I'm working 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. We eat through all of our savings. We had a pretty good savings, and we were doing well in New York. Eat through all of our savings and go 70 Gs in credit card debt. And, uh, you know, I just looked at myself and said, what did you do? You ruined everything. You guys were living the American dream. You had a great job. And every, and now look at you. You're, you're, I was almost bankrupt, man. I almost had trouble, you know, keeping the house. Uh, so I, I, had to, I had to dig myself out of that. Uh, and, I, and I took two full-time programming contracts. I was a good programmer, so it's fairly easy for me to get hourly work. I took one, and that was good. It stopped the bleeding a little bit, but I had trouble chopping the debt down. I took a second, and I did both of those for 11 months. So 11 months, 80 hours a week of billing and uh, paid the debt off in 11 months. Wow. And that was an awesome moment. <laughs> Not a good season. I don't want to go back to that, but boy, am I glad that I went through that, you know, just from a, from a confidence perspective. And also my, my perception on risk, I think, changed a bit, right? We went in pretty deep into the hole and I was able to hustle my way out of it just from sheer hard work and hustle, all that stuff that my old man brainwashed us with during the basketball days. And, you know, I, I literally can hear him on a daily basis on my shoulder. Work hard, son. Work hard, son. You know, you can get out of this. Just keep hustling. Keep fighting. And to be able to go into that debt and hustle our way out of it, I said, maybe this whole entrepreneurial thing is not so scary, right? We're all so scared of this thing. Well, what if I'm without a job? What? You know, you're, you're in America. You're, you're, if you're educated and you're healthy and you've got people who love you, I mean, you're going to be fine. You're not going to starve. You might have some stressful nights and you might go into some debt, but if you're smart and you're willing to hustle, you can get out of it. So I think that was the big lesson from my, my early days. Yeah. 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 So uh, one of the things that I talk with students who, who, you know, in my entrepreneurship classes is, is the, here's a dilemma. Should I blaze off on my own immediately upon graduation or should I go work for a larger institution of some sort, larger company? Doesn't have to be a Fortune 100, but, you know, not necessarily a new startup. Yeah. Get some experience and then blaze out on my own. So you did that. Yeah. So what lessons did you learn? What would your advice be? Yeah, so I, I would say, and again, this is these are just my opinions, right? Whoever's out there listening, take these with a grain. But for me personally, I needed to go work someplace. I didn't know anything. Like I, I didn't know I didn't know anything about software development. I didn't know anything about business teams, management. I mean, just I needed to experience that. Now that's me personally, right? I'm I'm from here in upstate New York. My as I told you, my whole life was basketball. I wasn't paying attention to any of this stuff. Now my sons, my kids, they see us growing a business. I'm bringing them in. My 14-year-old worked for us this summer in, in an unpaid internship. I feel like by the time they're done with school, with with their undergraduate degree, they may be ready if they've got the hunger, right? Because they're going to be a lot more sophisticated. So I think it really depends on your life's experience, right? If you're just kind of like me, just some some dumb kid, I just didn't know anything. I needed to go work first. And now when I think about all of our work that's coming in through Janelle Group, a lot of that's coming in through those relationships that I created in those early days, right? Without that, I'm just some unknown person. Nobody knows how hard I work and I can tell them, but everybody says they work hard, you know? We really do. And I needed... I needed uh, seven, eight-year career to build some deep relationships and prove myself to, to not only myself, but to those people around me. So my advice is, I think for most people, it'd probably be better to go work and, and, and figure some things out. There are a few kids that I, I mentioned, that young kid uh, from CBA, you know, he, he's honestly probably ready to start a business right out of, 
right out of high school. Mm-hmm. I really believe it. I go, we'll just send you our spillover work, this work that's too small for us, and you could have a $200,000 business when you're 19. I, I believe that. Um, I'm not saying he should do that. Certainly, if he gets an MIT, he should go, right? Or uh, some, some really good school. So it's a tough thing, but um, hopefully I answer that. Yeah, that's good. good perspective. Yeah. Good perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, your, your, your children who are expo- constantly exposed to entrepreneurship and growing a business yeah. are in a totally different state when they graduate sure, than sure. you were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My old man was a school teacher and, and a great guy, and he taught us work ethic, but he doesn't know anything yeah. about really starting a business. You know, Our uncle was an entrepreneur, and he had a business, and any exposure we had to that was very exciting. We saw that, but we didn't spend enough time with him to really dig in and see how do you actually run this thing. You know, yeah. Yeah. so so uh, you had eleven school districts or eleven teachers, school districts super interested. Yeah. You close none of them. You go into debt. You, yeah, you know, uh, through hard work and, and and determination, you get yourself out of it. Then what happens? Yeah, so so then we started to figure out how to close deals. Right, it's all about in the school system. It's all about uh, which contract vehicle you can use to actually get the money. Right. Uh, and we figured that out, and we got this thing called a NISL contract, New York State Software Law. And basically, every school in New York City, the five boroughs, had NISL money. And if if they if they liked your product uh, and it was NISL approved, which we got ours to be NISL approved, they could use this money. So now, all of a sudden, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Hey, you like the software? Yeah. Oh, use your NISL money, and all of a sudden, we're closing deals, right? We scaled sales up to about a half a million dollars, which is pretty good when you're talking about starting from scratch. This and is like just you and your brother at this point. This in time. is me and my brother. We had another partner, and we've had you know we'd, we'd hire a salesperson, and they may leave or we'd let them go when sales would dip, and never could get over the hump. Um, and that was that was a hard lesson, right? If you told me when I was 23. Hey, half a million dollar a year software company, you're going to have that. I'd be like, oh, I'm rich. Like I did it, you know. Wow, is that not a lot of money when you're trying to hire people and grow and, and build a company? We just, we just could never get over the hump. So this is, again, 05 when I quit my job through about 2012, right, where we're just grinding and hustling. And again, we got the software over the hump a little bit. The game's been, one of our big games has been played over 10 million times. Um, in all 50 states, 13 different countries. So that, that's cool. Uh, that sounds good. But it, from a business model perspective, we, we were just working too hard for that money. So while you're working these two contract jobs to get yourself out of debt, yeah. you're still working on this educational yes. piece of software and still trying to sell it to school districts. Absolutely. You got, into these, you got access to these various different funds by various different categories or blessings, approvals, right? Yeah. Okay, so these things yeah. are all going on simultaneously. Yeah. So you're yeah. sort of working three jobs. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nightmare, man. I had a young kid at home. My wife's like, I don't ever see you and you work at home. Um, it, it was really tough, you know, but you gotta, that's the way I was brainwashed and raised and I'm trying to brainwash and raise my kids the same way. It's the best skill that you could have. It's better than intelligence, personality, anything. If you've got the ability and desire to just grind and hustle, um, you know, that's just the way I'm wired and I'll never change that, you know? Okay. So you figured out how to sell some stuff. You got half a million dollars in revenue. Yeah. And on that, I'm, I'm figuring out how to sell. I think this is a good takeaway, right? This guy in business school, uh, said, always take all your meetings, right? You, you, you take your meeting. If somebody wants to meet with you, if you're a hustler, take the meeting. You don't know what'll come out of it, right? And this is a good example, right? My, my buddy and I go in. We don't know about Nissel at this point, so we're still struggling. Can't close any deals. We're like, I'm like literally almost crying in these meetings. I'm just so distraught, you know? We go into this school in Harlem, just the worst. Oh, you should have seen the state of this school. And I'm just, I'm like kind of like pouting a little bit, right? In my mind and my body language isn't great. And my, I'm like to my partner, let's go, let's get out of here. And he's like, no, no, stay, stay, right? Five minutes later, the principal of the school goes, oh, are you guys NISL approved? We said, well, what's NISL? You know, we didn't know anything about it. And basically the guy explained the whole process to us. And that right there was the key to breaking that thing open. And you almost left five yeah, minutes. Yeah, I'm being a powder. I'm not listening to my old fa- my father. He's on my shoulder saying, son, stay in the meeting and, uh, you know, be be a pro about this. And uh, it took my, my partner to say, you know, let's stick this out. And thank goodness we did because that was the key to kind of breaking that open and, and trying to figure that 
figure that business out again. Breaking that open is probably too strong of wording, but at least figuring something out so we could survive and fight for a few more right, years, right. you know? So what happens over the next several years? So, so over that time, we're constantly getting calls from people in our network. My brother and I, people we knew from New York, Boston, grad school, you know, as I kind of indicated, my brother and I are fairly intense and uh, people knew we were developers and it's hard to find developers. Uh, it's as many as developers as our schools are producing. It's hard to find a good one who's going to see a project through and people knew we had that in us. So we just kept turning this work away from 05 to 2012. We probably turned away, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 projects. Some of them big projects, several hundred thousand dollar projects. In 2012, my brother and I were just kind of getting exhausted on the educational software. And we just said, you know, we're working 60, 70 hours a week. Let's take a project. The next project that comes our way, let's just take it and we'll kill it. We're already grinding. Let's get paid for it, right? The phone rings the very next day with a project, Bela. No sales, no marketing. People just call, right? We take the project, we kill it. We get paid. We say, oh, that was pretty nice, right? Phone rings again with another project. We take it. We get paid. We hire a young person. I've always had a passion for training and, and bringing young people up. We hire a young person. I train them up. This is the kind of the start of forward motion without even knowing what we're doing, right? Then we hire another person, train them up. That first person's actually doing well. Phone rings again, rings again, and basically hasn't stopped ringing since. So we went from about probably about three, four people on the team back in 2012 to, as I said at the top of the podcast, uh, we're at about 60 right now. So from three or four to 60, and all of that growth has been organic and, and, and doing just really hustling and doing good project work. Have you taken any outside capital to help your business? Uh, not officially. We have uh, borrowed money from my old man uh, to like secure our building. To, so friends to, and family. Yeah, friends and family money. And uh, we, we joke because my, my father was a school teacher in, in the summer. He painted houses. So when we bought the building, first of all, we borrowed the money from him. And then I say, well, then we got to rehab this building. I said, Pop, would you mind me uh, helping me paint it? He's like, oh, I'll come down and paint, right? And then he comes down and sees this thing. It's 7,500 square feet. We put, my dad and I put 45 gallons of paint on the wall. 45 paint, gallons of paint. So we, we laugh, we, we, we uh, joke, we, we say it's, uh, the name of his company is Janelle Painting and Loan. <laughs> Instead of savings and loan. Uh, because he loans the money and he paints the building that he loans the money for. So, yeah, outside of uh, a couple hundred K from, from my father, uh, no, we haven't taken any outside money. So you understand cash flow? Big time, man. It is. It can be quite stressful. Again, another thing that I... That one, you they can tell you in school, but until you experience it, you don't realize how like stressful that is. Your money could, or your business could look amazing on paper. Oh, I've got great EBITDA. Look at my net. Oh, this is fantastic. I don't have any money and I can't make payroll. And if I don't figure something out, I'm literally going to lose all my employees, right? So I would, you know, there were times where we took out a last minute home equity line of credit. There were times where we hustled and had to maybe extend a little. We had to go back to Janelle Painting and Loan, a very uh, amazing venture capitalist that I know, and, uh, you know, get 20K or something to make payroll. And, yeah, that, that can be stressful. Yeah. So uh, what now that you've been doing it successfully for a number of years, what are the biggest challenges? Look, let's just first look back. Right. So what yeah. are the what are the two or three really big lessons you've learned since getting out of college? Let's yeah. say putting down the basketball. Sure. On sure. A, that level. Right. And then let's talk about the two or three biggest challenges you see on the horizon. Sure. So let's talk about back what you've learned. so. Far. Yeah. The, the biggest one by far, the one that I kind of, you know, say, man, if I could just have a conversation with myself at 24 years old, I would tell them this. You'd need to go. Well, I, I shouldn't say you need to. For us, we needed to go where the money was, right? The money was in consulting. That work was, I told you, we're turning it down. That's insanity, right? We we got drunk on this dream of, oh, we're going to start a SaaS company. We're going to be on the cover of Inc. Magazine and have a $100 million business. And don't get me wrong, I still want that. And we're still working different angles to try to get there. But that to me, I look at as more of a, that's, I want to play in the NBA, right? Maybe you'll get there. Maybe you won't. There's a lot of things that need to happen in order for you to get there, including luck. I hate to say it, yeah. but there's some luck, right? 
what we really should have been doing is focusing on where the money was and just starting to build the business the right way through hard work and hustle the way we built from 2012 to now, right? I'm so proud of what we've done in that time span. I feel like if we started the same thing in 2005, I really believe we'd be a $30, $40 million company right now. Um, and this isn't something that keeps me up at night. I, you know, you got to go through this in order to learn it, I feel like. Um, but that was the one that was the one big takeaway where I was like, man, if we had just picked a different space um, in a different industry and kind of followed the money, I, I think we'd be in a different position. That's, that's the biggest one. Yeah. And what about going forward? What do you think the big challenge or challenges are going forward? All right, so so taking that same lesson, right? Let's let's go where the money is. Um, our business model is we, we've built up this consulting machine, right? We've used this machine to accumulate talent and revenue, right? And we've kind of accomplished both of those things, and we continue to try to grow that machine. But now we want to use that talent and that revenue in order to place bets on different business ventures, okay? Kind of like a, almost like a venture capitalist would, but we're going to use our own, you know, we're going to use our own talent uh, and, and coding resources, right? Everybody and their brother wants to start a software company, right? And everybody has uh, desires to do that. We get probably one offer a week with somebody, hey, do you want to partner? Oh, you want to partner with me and my 50 engineers? Of course you do, you know? Um, but now that we, we want to, we, we, we're trying to do that, right? And place these bets. We've placed some bets on SaaS products that were starting from scratch. And we failed a couple more times. And it's like, when are you going to learn, Darren? Stop going and trying to create a market and a product. If you build this great product, people will come. That is not true for us. So now we're trying to use that same lesson of follow the money. And we're trying to partner with people that are already in a space that they're doing revenue, millions of dollars in revenue, that they have customers, they have, um, a, they're in a space where it can be significantly improved through technology. And we're looking for those partners. And we found our first partner um, in a friend that you and I both have uh, in Dave Dussault. And uh, he runs a manufacturing company. And we've come together on one of these bets it's called spindle and it's a really amazing business and i hope to be back on this podcast in five years explaining how we grew that to a 50 million dollar company um but now we're betting our talent on a partner that's already in a space that's doing a they're a 20 million dollar company right it's going to be a lot easier to find the revenue where there's already relationships there's already customers and we're not out there just starting from nowhere with a brand and maybe a cool piece of software. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And by the way, David DeSalt's been a guest on this okay. podcast. Great. So Great. I'll take you up on the offer and not in five years, but hopefully three years, have the two of you back. Absolutely. And talk about talk about spending. Oh, we're so excited about that one. Oh, man. <laughs> but let's not get, get off on that. I'll, I'll yap about that for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> so you, you talk uh, fondly about your father and, and sort of the mentoring he did for you. Yeah. Uh, you've clearly taken on that role. I mean, you talk about this uh, young high school student from, sure. from Christian Brothers Academy here in, here in Albany. Uh, so what role have mentors played in your life? I mean, besides your father, has there been other ones? Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think of a ton of basketball coaches, right? Um, uh, I played, I had the opportunity at UAlbany to play for a little bit of a local legend here. Doc Sowers is a guy who coached for over 40 years, 700 wins, and he passed along some wisdom to us. Um, wisdom beyond basketball. Yeah, yeah. Beyond A lot of it was within a basketball context, but just kind of the way he ran things, I, I, I picked up a lot, you know, for, from him. Um, you know, definitely my father is, has had a huge impact uh, on our lives. Um, and then I, I, I think of some of the bosses I had in New York City, um, people who really opened my eyes to either, you know, programming and how to develop. We had this amazing teacher in that training program I was in, Mary Abdel. Oh, my gosh, this woman was just amazing. And she would she literally read hexadecimal code. And she was just, I mean, the nerdiest person you'd ever want to meet. But, um, you know, she, she definitely helped shape the way I develop applications and the way I think about um, building projects. Uh, she, she's one who definitely comes to mind. Yeah. Now you've undertaken that role. So what sort of motivates you to 
take that time and that energy. I mean, you talk about having the person contribute to your business, so yeah. uh, you're not being totally 100% altruistic, right? Yeah. But at the same time, takes a lot of time, takes sure. a lot of energy. Yeah. So what's sort of your motivation? What are your thoughts there? Um, you know, I have, and this will, this will get fairly intense, and I, I didn't necessarily mean to bring this up, but I actually believe, I actually believe that I know my purpose on earth. I believe that God put me here and I am here to help young people level up. I literally, God has put me in a position. He's given me the skills, the desire, everything that he set me up with tells me that this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm good at it. I love doing it. I'm in a space where I can do it, right? It's, it's literally what gets me high in life. When someone comes in and we can help a young person get from here to here, from here to here, just keep climbing that ladder. That's what gets us more fired up than anything. Whether they end up at Genoa Group or not, you know, the, the, the first, actually the first six months of that uh, forward motion program is stuff that's not for our business. It really is stuff like college assignments and I'm making it up. So we are spending a lot of time on stuff that truly is just going to get thrown away. Um, but man, I just have always been fired up about this. I think maybe it comes from my sports background and kind of seeing the passion of the coaches and how much they care about trying to help young people get to the next level. It just always spoke to me and, and it's just something that I love. Yeah. Well said. Thanks. Well said. Thanks. So, uh, if you were sitting down with a person who's, let's say working at a large company now, medium, medium, the large company and is contemplating blazing off on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, you've, had a, uh, you've had a lot of trials and tribulations in that past. Sure. What advice would you give them? Uh, I have a very strong piece of advice. I'm very opinionated on this based on what I went through. I would say moonlight as much as you can. Keep your full-time job and hustle as long as you can at night and on weekends, right? There, there is a six-month ramp-up time in almost any business where you're just still trying to figure out what's going on. Is my website up? Do I have business cards? What do I? Am I going to do payroll? Do I do QuickBooks? I mean, there are hundreds of decisions and things that you can be doing while you're still working. So in order to stretch out your runway as long as you can, keep that job. Now, if you're already in a station in life where maybe you've got a wife and kids and you're coaching and coaching sports or doing whatever, that's a little bit harder to do than if you're, you know, without children. I wouldn't even say married, right? If you're single, I mean, there's nothing stopping you, right? You should be able to work an 80-hour week and just grind it out and figure that out. You know, if you're married but without kids, you know, and your, your spouse is on board, um, you know, carve out that time and just say, well, I'm going to work 40 hours a week at my job. And then not everyone can do 80s, but say, well, I could, do, maybe I could do another 25, carve out a 25 hour schedule and try to do that for six Even if months. It's 10 hours a week. Yeah, yeah, right. It doesn't have to be 25. Sure. Um, you know, work every Saturday. I mean, that's not that crazy. Once you start to get into something that you like, um, you should kind of want to do it. And if you don't, I would caution you, don't quit that job, right? If you try to do your extra 15 hours a week and it's always a struggle and on Saturdays you go, well, I'll play golf instead of build my business. If you find yourself making that decision even 25% of the time, I'd say you really got to re-examine if, if going out on your own is for you. Yeah, you so, so given that context, given that scenario, how do you know when it's the right time to hand in your badge at the... Uh, at the big company and blaze off on your own. Yeah, that, that's what's a, the trigger. That's a, that's a good question. My trigger was the day my bonus cleared. I, you know, my bonus cleared, and I said, "All right, I'm out," um, because I had known I was going to do it. And again, I, as I told you, I made the wrong choice timing wise. I should have stayed in there a little bit longer. I, I think we could have figured things out. But um, I would say once you've got paying clients and and they're paying you enough, where not necessarily you can survive on. But enough where this is a raise an eyebrow, right? You know, um, I don't know. Say you're making $75,000 a year in your, your, your job, right? And uh, all of a sudden, you've got some side work that's uh, maybe three grand a month or something like that, right? Now, we're talking, hey, you got, you know, $36,000 a year coming in with just some side stuff. And, hey, I got two more leads 
hey, maybe you close that extra lead and it's an extra whatever, thousand a month, that might be the time, you know? Again, I'm kind of making up sure. a scenario, but I, I'd really like to see some revenue and, and um, you know, like back to my scenario, we should have closed deals before I quit my job with the educational software. I probably could have figured out the NISL thing, right? And once we got NISL approved, boy, I wouldn't have probably gone into debt and wouldn't have gone through that that crazy time in my life um, uh, that that would be my warning to anybody. Yeah, someone once I heard someone say, uh, "Customer interest is not the same as a sale to a customer." Yes, that's a, a good huge one. difference between yeah. those two things. I'm sure I heard that in my entrepreneurial classes yeah. in school, and I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense," and jotted it down. But you know, whatever. It's it's hard until you really feel it. You know. Yeah. So one one last question here. Uh, so you and your brother have been uh, competitive against each other. Sure. Uh, and you've been working together now yeah. uh, for a number of years. So how is it working with the siblings? So to describe that process, the pluses, the challenges. Sure. Um, every single person who hears that we work together says, oh, don't do it. You shouldn't do it. I've heard so many horror stories of you know terrible relationships and, and things like that. But we just don't experience any of that. We're, we're, we both work extremely hard. Um We've got complementary skill sets, right? I want to be out there talking, hustling, recruiting, selling, stirring the pot. He wants to be back in the trenches, uh, grinding project work and, and kind of running the business behind the scenes. He's always said to me, I'm the best number two in the world. You know, I'll be in the trenches taking grenades. You go out there and lead us. And, and you can't have a better business partner than that, right? I'm sure anyone out there, if, if anyone out there hears someone say that, that's probably your business partner, you know? Uh, so we so, don't, so we don't really fight. The, between the two of you, you have a whole functioning brain. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes. But there's so many times if there's an argument or an issue or something, we literally look at each other and we go, I know what he's about to say. And then one of us will say it and... And then the other one goes, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So that's really what I meant in terms of, like, we agree on a lot of stuff. Um, what we like to do is, is a little bit different. Yeah. And that's good. Thank goodness. You right. know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what's next? What's next? So we are just getting warmed up, Bela. We're, we're just getting warmed up. We hit the Inc. 5000 list uh, this year for the second year in a row. I think we're going to hit it five, six, seven, ten more times in a row. We're just getting warmed up. Um, we're going to continue to grow the consulting practice. We're going to continue placing bets on other ventures like Spindle, which we'll be back here in, in three years to talk about the, the tens of millions that we're generating. Um, and we want to just continue to grow this impact that we're having. I believe that we're doing business the right way. I believe that we're giving young people the right opportunities. I believe that as we place these bets and try to spin off some different ventures, it's going to give our young people opportunity for upward mobility, right? Each of these little spinoffs is going to need a CEO, a head of sales, a chief architect. They're going to need developers. I want to see my vision, and, and this is a pretty grand vision, and you know some people may laugh at this, but when you walk around Schenectady 10, 15, 20 years from now, I want to see five, 10 different uh, Janelle Group spinoffs where people that started in the Janelle Group machine are now working independently uh, as uh, you know, different software companies, Spindle. Um, we just started a new company focusing on the ServiceNow space. I want to see the streets of Schenectady littered with companies that, that came out of this thing that we're doing. I think we're doing business the right way. I think we're bringing young people in the right way. And I just want to continue to expand that impact. It's not just about the money. It is about the way we're doing it. And I want to share that with more people. Excellent. Excellent. Darren, thank you very much for a really inspiring uh, conversation. Thank you very much, Bela. I love it. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share our story. So thank you. You betcha. Well, Mike, I really enjoyed spending time with Darren and getting to know him a little bit. Uh, one of the things that he said that really struck me and is a hard lesson that he learned was he said there's a difference between customer interest and the customer actually buying. And if you remember, that was sort of when he was talking about his education company and he had, oh, a dozen school districts were very interested in his product. And he left his job, he quit his job to start working at the company full time. 
and he didn't make one sale. And that's a hard lesson to learn. So have you come across that type of uh, thing in the past? All the time. Um, and I think there's two parts to this. I think the first part is understanding that you, the entrepreneur, are not the customer. So you have to, A, determine is that customer interest really from customers that want to buy this product that are in the market for this product or service, or is it just people because they like you telling you that it's interesting or you yourself saying, yeah, I think this is great. So yeah, figuring out what that consumer interest is and then yeah, getting a person to actually shell out the cash um, is a totally different different ball game than saying, yeah, tell me more about this. Let me click on, on this ad on the website. Let me say in a focus group that I like this. Let me fill out this survey and say that I like this. It's totally different when it comes to buying time. So, you know, I guess in the three or four ventures I've been involved with, that was always a critical component. And in all four of them that I was involved with, there was definitely this moment when people didn't buy. The customers didn't come. You had a product design. You had a rollout, and they didn't come. And the key, because two of those ventures were successful and two were not successful, the key to the successful ventures was that pivoting and adjusting and to figure out fast, right, what was the trigger to get people to buy? How did you need to tr change the product or the service to get people to shell out the money? And I think that's a that's a, just a critical point that I've seen reinforced in my kind of entrepreneurial experience. What are what, what are your thoughts there, Bela? So one of, as you were saying that, Mike, the thing that popped into my brain was uh, an entrepreneur that I know. The saying that he had on his wall in his office was, "Nothing good happens." until a sale is made. I like that. Right. So really driving this point home that customer interest is good. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient to have a successful business. You actually have to have customers that reach into their, their back pocket and, and make a purchase. So that was one thing that really uh, stuck with me from uh, my conversation with Darren. Uh, what's another thing that uh, struck you, Mike? I think that Daryl's conversation about getting the right employees, employee recruitment and selection was really amazing. And this idea that was intuitive to him is that you have to interview a lot of people. There's really a lot of great science behind this. And if you look at the research on selection, on developing human capital, you do have to have this big enough pool to find the right fits for your organization. So he really was totally in line with the research on, eight, on on human resources, which is first interview a big pool. And then the second is his three key aspects. Are they smart enough? Are they hungry? And will they fit into our culture? I think our great ways, uh, our great foundation to build some structured interview questions or to design some realistic job tests uh, that you can give to your applicants to try to select the right tools. He's using a neat uh, tool called Forward Motion. I took a look at that and that's, um, I think that's might be out of the, the reach for some brand new startups, but uh, a tool like that can really help you pick the right people. And then I loved his pipeline approach. And again, he didn't use the word pipeline, but it really is a pipeline from high school and college internships into the funnel that he talked about for making the selection process easy. So I loved what he said about this. This is I think takeaways that every entrepreneur can use in terms of finding the right people. Now, keeping them was another matter. What did you think about his discussion of culture uh, and caring and things like that? How, do that? how does that jive with your experience as a, as a VC, Bela? Well, it was clear that Darren spends a lot of time on culture. And by culture, it's not meaning that, you know, there's a pool table in the office and big fancy uh, beanbag chairs. Uh, that's one element of it. But culture really has to do with how you treat people, how you interact with people, what their feelings are towards each other. And how, how can you have an environment where they feel like they are contributing in a positive manner and moving the business forward? Now, he clearly spends a lot of time on that. And he has a, a large number of relatively young employees. I mean, he talked about hiring people. You know, he's had one person who he hired before high school. So he spends a lot of time on employee development as well, uh, understanding their needs. And he views himself, interestingly enough, as uh, I think I've heard it called like servant leadership, right? He's there to help his employees. The employees are not there to make him look good. <laughs> Right. And that came 
really clear in sort of the conversation with him. And you could see that he's passionate about it. It, it wasn't just something he read in a book. I mean, it's it flows through his veins. So I thought that was really, really interesting and really speaks a lot to the way Darren thinks about his business and uh, how he's been able to be successful. Yeah, I don't want to get into shilling different books or things like that, but I know there's a really good book on servant leadership and some great examples with a small company called Zingerman's out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was my uh, hometown. The founders have built a really cool community of businesses there using servant leadership at its core. Uh, so maybe we can throw a link up on the on the Facebook page to some of those articles and books that uh, are about servant leadership because it's a nice example and there's been some nice research that supports this as a, a mode of operation. So it's neat. People say, how do you scale a business? And, you know, oh, does the technology scale and is the business model scalable? And I believe in all those things. But at the end of the day, I think what Darren talked about is scaling your people is critical. Being able to grow your business and maintain the strength of your culture is critical. Being able to keep the core knowledge that you work so hard to invest in and develop and keep them in the business, critical. And uh, I thought there were some great stories in there about how um, he's kept almost everybody from his original core team and, and the effort and care that he goes into to not only finding but kind of nurturing this this human capital, which especially at a you know software-based company is critical. It's the, it's the knowledge that you have of your product. It's your customer relationships. Uh, that really make the business uh, valuable. So that was kind of fascinating. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought there was another interesting point that he made, which is uh, he talks about giving them some sort of work-based test or an evaluation, uh, seeing if they can write an algorithm to sort something or, or for whatever the job is for. And that's a trend that uh, we see in our early stage startups. Uh, companies are clearly sort of having assessment tools that they're using to sort of check out the skill base and the knowledge of prospective employees, whether it be programmers or whether if you're working in marketing to do up a, a sample brochure or something like that. So I think it leads to a couple things. Number one, I think as, as a prospective employee, it might be a good idea to have a portfolio. Uh, so not just your resume, but sort of a, a portfolio that you can point to that says, look, here are things that I have done uh, that are kind of concrete and specific. And don't be surprised if they give you some type of uh, test. And then that sort of establishes that you have the base knowledge that they're looking for. And then what Darren talked about was, OK, now that I know you have the base knowledge, now I'm going to try to evaluate, do you fit in within the culture? Do you have the drive? Do you, do you have the desire that we need to make this business a success? And are you going to be able to interact and work with our fellow employees? So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Agreed. Like I said earlier, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but the research really supports um, everything that Daryl said about selection, that Darren was spot on in terms of, yep, aptitude is really important and it doesn't always correlate with your grades in college doesn't always correlate with um, past performance. If this is a different area, um, if it's new technology, if it's new skills, that you really have to get a handle on that. And yeah, motivation. I mean, it's pretty clear that the culture there isn't about, oh, if you make this sale, you're going to get a giant bonus. Uh, it's not extrinsic. It's intrinsic. He wants people that are motivated by doing great work for customers, working as part of a dynamic team. Um, these are things that if this is what motivate you, you need to be able to explicitly state that in a job interview and give some examples. And then, yeah, the cultural fit is harder to prepare for that, but it's work style. It's what your beliefs and your values are. But again, I think this uh, aligning your people with the vision of your culture uh, is something that's really hard to do. Uh, and again, if you go back through some of our podcasts, that's been a theme that's come up again and again. Uh, so I thought it was great. I thought there was a lot of useful information that our listeners can take away with them. Along this theme, one of the key pieces of uh, advice I got from one of my my mentors uh, back in my younger day uh, when I was just getting into management is he said to me, Bela, one of the key decisions you're going to have to make is are you going to tolerate geniuses that are jerks? Yeah, that's sort of an interesting way of putting it, right? So even if this person is really, really smart and making lots of contributions, are you and the organization going to tolerate them if they're behaving like a jerk? 
And it's clear from talking to Darren that being really smart is a necessary condition, but it's not a sufficient condition to, to, to work within their organization, which then drives the whole question of, we often hear this, what's more important, the idea or the team? And this is really an example of, and I think we've heard this in previous podcasts as well, that the team is really, really important. And oftentimes I have read and heard people talk about, you know, I'd much rather uh, have a, an A team with a B idea because I know they will morph it into a successful A quality idea, as opposed to having a B team who's running with an A idea, because the the idea and the environment and the competition is going to force you to change. And if you don't have a good team, it's not going to happen. Totally agree. Excellent. So let's wrap this up. Uh, before we do that, Mike, was there any other points you wanted to make? Nope. I think we covered it. So another great podcast, I thought. And uh, I hope uh, you, the listeners, enjoyed it as well. Again, if you have any comments, please reach out to us at our email at bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And also, please leave a favorable review for us uh, and tell your friends uh, so that we can get more listeners and we can continue doing this because we are certainly having a blast and enjoying it. And I hope you're getting something from it as well. Thanks again.